0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'd like to welcome fellow GCO collective member, Andrew Henge, based out of Indianapolis, Indiana, who currently serves as GCO's lead content creator. Hi, Andrew. How are you,
1: my friend? Good to, good to be here. Indianapolis, Indiana. It's, it's smaller Midwestern, but wonderful town. I just You coming from Miami and your background in New York, I I wonder if people for a moment thought, Indianapolis, home of the 500 though, right?
0: (laughs) Yes, and I'm very much looking forward to being there in June, and I will definitely be taking you up on that promise you made me. I don't know if you remember, but you did promise to cook me dinner, so I am going to take you up on that, and you're going to be recorded now live, so... (laughs)
1: This is on the record officially. (laughs) It is. we've, We've got this. We've got this.
0: It is. So for everyone tuning in, I wanted to introduce you to Andrew and give you a little bit of a background as to what he specializes in, how we connected, as well as tell you about the work that we've done since we started working together back in April of 2021. So Andrew is someone that helps brands find their voice and he effectively helps them to share their story, creating aha moments that spur audiences to action. That's his claim to fame. And I can tell you after working with him for nine months, he delivers on that and much more. What really intrigued me about Andrew, when we first met, was his background as a reporter. He spent close to eight years as a reporter. Andrew, is that right?
1: Yeah. And if we count that time collegiately, right, in undergrad, I I remember my first television job, if you will, WTIU, the, the PBS, local access stationed there in Bloomington, Indiana. I did my undergrad degree in journalism at, at Indiana University. So you you count those years as well and it's, it's more than a decade of reporting,
0: yeah. What inspired you to go down that road?
1: That's a good question. It's a longer story than maybe we have time for today. Look, growing up in Indianapolis, well, I didn't think my hometown would be such a theme here uh, to start us off, but growing up in Indianapolis, and in particular, uh, in the area of town we refer to as Broad Ripple Village, Broad Ripple famously is the home of David Letterman. I, I honestly wanted oh, wow. to be David Letterman. He was from where I was from, and he was funny, and he was on TV, and I thought that seemed really, really cool. And it's it's at uh, it's at Indiana University in that undergraduate experience. they they only let you go on camera through the journalism major at IU. So the only way I could get on camera like David Letterman was to be a journalism major. And within that first six months, the professors there completely reshaped my thinking as it relates to to the importance of journalism, the civic duty that you perform as a journalist. And, And I went from This notion of wanting to be famous like David Letterman to wanting to tell stories to help people live their lives better, to hold the powerful to account. Um, You name all the important things that 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 journalists do for our society. Um, And I fell in love with with the idea of of using storytelling to positively impact people's lives and and then that was it from there um so all all due credit to to my professors guys like paul volks at at indiana university who who shaped me into into the journalist i became and the storyteller i still am today
0: wow very interesting process you went through and also find it quite interesting how mr letterman was your inspiration and just out of curiosity fast forwarding now 20 or so years from when you had that initial thought what is your perspective on david letterman his journey where he's at him being your inspiration
1: look i i i watch the 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 netflix programs that he puts together now and in some ways um it's, it's like a distilled, heightened version of the old show. You know, the humor is still there, but it's not necessarily front and center. I think his ability as an interviewer and, and his ability as someone in conversation is really highlighted by the Netflix um, programming that he's doing now. You know, he started in, in local television, too, as a, a quasi-journalist. He was a weatherman, so in some ways, I guess I did end up following him to a degree um, but very creative guy. I, I love the humor, the sense of humor. And and clearly there's a connection there. You know, he spent plenty of time in, in New York, most of his adult life in New York, but also time out in Los Angeles as well. But at the end of the day, he's a Midwestern guy like me. And so I, I think I, 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 I sense his values and have some ties to that as
0: well. Your experience after that, Was something that also I found very intriguing working as a vice president in a marketing agency. And the type of work that you did, what caught my attention was your experience with nonprofits. And at the time when we met, I was struggling to find someone who really understood from a content creation standpoint the importance of not only the storytelling because of all the work that we do and it requires and involves such tremendous detail, but someone who truly understood the importance of purpose and looking at the big picture and really trying to understand and communicate the positive impact that we're working very hard to share with the real estate industry. What is it about that experience that you had in the nonprofit world or any of the other work you may have had at the agency that either helped you to understand what we were looking to achieve at Global Consulting Organization or helped you to bring to the table in what we've done to date? Well, that's a a really good question. You know, I'll go back
1: again to to those those college professors at Indiana University in the School of Journalism, and I think some of it's rooted in, in in how they instilled this this sense of civic duty in me, and and the idea that my work was about something more than myself, and it was about more than 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 revenue or profits, and and clearly that's been sort of a through line through my professional career ever since that time. When I went in, into the agency, I, I don't want to say it was by accident. It was it was a, an opportunity that I pursued very intentionally. But I, I joined the agency coming off of an in-house position with uh, an organization called the Simon Youth Foundation. And many of your uh, listeners and members of our GCO collective are familiar with Simon Property Group, the big Fortune 500 and they're headquartered here in indianapolis and the simon uh, youth foundation is the philanthropic mission of simon property group and members of the simon family and they run alternative high schools that are located in malls that simon property group owns and manages and i i was in house there as sort of a one-man shop and using my journalism skills to help rebrand that nonprofit profit and, and give it its, its new narrative, its new voice, its new tone, its new personality. Effectively, I'm carving out an identity for this nonprofit. And we did it very successfully. And I was really proud of that work. And I went to the agency thinking, boy, if I could do this on my own for one organization um, that was operating nationwide, you know, they, they were at that point in time, 32 different alternative high schools in 28, I think, different states. I thought, boy, if I could do that for for Simon Property Group and Simon Youth Foundation, surely we can do it for others. And and how much more powerful could it be if I was part of a team in an agency setting? And so that's really the work that we did. We set about partnering with nonprofit organizations to help them better position themselves and and to build campaigns that would either fundraise, uh, increase volunteer participation, and we all have a sense of what nonprofit needs are. And we were just doing our best to help position these organizations to be most successful at raising whatever kind of capital they needed uh, to complete their missions. And so I appreciate what you said about purpose-driven. I mean, that's really what draws me to global consulting organization. And when you and I talk, it's this idea that, yeah, is it is it really is is there an excitement? Is it fun? Is it interesting to to help vision and, and and brand and and market, you know, spaces and transform them into places that that are there to be experienced? That's very cool work, right in and of itself. But then when you layer in this idea that a, a part of that work is is targeting th- this. This notion that the built environment should and can and must enhance the human experience. Well, that's purpose right there. And that gets me really interested. And um, now all of a sudden you think I can help this organization. At least I think I can help this organization find its voice, find its positioning and I can get up every morning and be excited to do it because I know at the end of the day the the bottom line is we we want to lift people up through the work and 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 enhance human experience and enhance the lives people are living and so that that's really appealing that's exciting and um i'm I'm glad that I have this opportunity with and through you to do this work
0: well, the feeling is. Definitely mutual. And thanks for sharing that. That was a nice piece of information that I was not aware of with regards to the connection to Simon property group.
1: Part of the reason we're together today is to talk about these early blog articles, right? Uh, the, the the way that a lot of this early storytelling has come together for us uh, at GCO and, and maybe in talking through them, with you today will we'll, we'll sort of set the table for that direction you're talking about, this this integration of the, the, the for-profit pursuits and humanitarian values, right, in, in what the real estate industry is pursuing in terms of the built environment of the future.
0: Yeah, definitely a, a great segue, Andrew. And as a lot of the individuals in our audience know, the avid readers that we have Of our blog. And now, listeners, we've started this blog, which we call 2030 and Beyond Reimagining the Future of Real Estate. And the purpose of this blog, which we started in October of 2021, was to start sharing ideas, inspirations, and ideals that we believe will become the foundation for the built environment in 2030 and beyond. Andrew, you and I first started working together back in May of last year, and we started on this journey of telling the story about our pilot project. The pilot project was a property in Miami called the Yukon, and the purpose of that project was to really act as a template for what our quote-unquote GCO system is and what it can become, and most importantly, how it can impact the built environment in the future. We worked on this blog article together in October of last year, and we were able to capture some insights about the project, about our GCO system, as well as add in some interesting ideas regarding the inspiration for where it came from and some ideas that could help people to better understand what we were talking about. Do you mind sharing a little bit of the process and your insights and any other thoughts that may come to mind about the blog article?
1: Yeah, so that first article um why your real estate development project needs a project starter uh, was was that first title that first article. It's always a little bit nerve-wracking, right? This is <clears throat> this was our first go at it. This was really the first chance we had above and beyond the website the case study some of the social media activity to that point in time you know between those months of of May and October but this was really the first time for us to to, to be expressive right and and maybe narrative in a different kind of way and you mentioned that pilot project that was so successful the Yukon it was a natural thing to 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 use the Yukon as sort of the the guiding principle or the or the central focus of the piece, um, and and what we did in the article was was really try to use this notion of the Yukon, both the physical structure in Miami, Florida, but also the Canadian territory, using both of these uh, uh, examples of the Yukon to to talk about the idea of tapping into potential. And that's what global organiz- global consulting organization is all about, right? It's about this idea that there is more to the built environment, that, that there is true potential that right now the industry may not be tapping into. And so using the Yukon territory, right? Um, and, and that idea of the gold rush back in the 19th century to that territory, was all about potential. You've got these miners chasing their hopes and dreams uh, in a gold rush, and, and the idea that they have the belief in what's, what's possible, and, and it's the potential that's driving them on. So I, I remember well, as we were starting to draft that piece in the early stages, it was very much about this idea that all the promise uh, of, of what a miner is trying to do um, all the promise that they're pursuing is not dissimilar from what GCO is attempting to do. You know, we're looking at spaces and we're 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 seeing the gold in them and and doing the work to transform them into places to experience. So I, I remember well with that article that 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 tying in of the Yukon and the Canadian territory and the famous gold rush that. That happened there those hundreds of years ago, so I, I, that was one takeaway that i that I remember well um, in in the early conversations about that first article
0: right, and the results that we achieved were an idea that we shared with people just to show a proof of concept the Eventual result in achieving the asking price of 45 million in the middle of a pandemic, the record breaking office lease of $92 a square foot, and that set a record for the entire state of Florida, and also attracting Chef Gordon Ramsay, who will be opening a concept called Lucky Cat. All of these results that were achieved came after we put together this vision of the future for what the Yukon could represent. And the purpose behind sharing this first blog article was just to explain to our audience the importance of the GCO system, which incorporates visioning, branding, and marketing, and the effect that it had on our first project. What I really enjoyed putting together was the closing of our blog articles and you mind speaking a little bit about the closing it's very simple just a little catchphrase but a little bit of insight we could provide to our audience would be interesting
1: yeah no so that salutation is really simple right cheers to 2030 and beyond um, but it's simple but it's not i mean cheers is a really intentional word um it's a really intentional choice in part cheers conveys sort of the, the the tone and the personality of of Gco right we're upbeat positive almost celebratory in in the potential for the built environment to to deliver on enhancing the human experience so there's there's that piece and then cheers is also about you know sharing you know when you give a toast with people you know you're all raising your your glasses together. And so there's this sense of, of, of shared purpose, of commonality, the way a toast draws people in. Um, and, and so I, I also like the idea that Cheers to 2030 and Beyond is also about bringing people together ar- around this common purpose, this common vision for what you know, the real estate industry can be what the built environment can deliver in 2030 and beyond. So I, I like that it's a beat. I like that it is also, though, about bringing people together uh, and, and this idea of, of unity. I actually I, I remember when we were thinking about do we want the closeout to be the same every article? Do we want it to be different with each article and your your response was very quick. I, I'd like it to be consistent. I want it to be something you know people can count on, and, and something that can be reaffirming each time that we're out there. And one of the ideas we discussed was was cheers to to twenty thirty and beyond. And I actually sign off on some of my personal emails with cheers, so it was a real natural fit for me too. Like it just seemed to fall uh, into place, you know. Um, and we'll talk about it with some of these other articles here in a moment, but you know. Right time, right people, right place. I mean, this was, this was an example of that happening in real time as we were thinking through this first article.
0: It was. And the last comment I'll share on that closing is all of our marketing and promotional pieces for now are delivered on Thursdays at eight o'clock. The goal is that our audience gets to a place where they know on Thursdays at eight o'clock they're going to be receiving some information for which they can pull out their favorite drink, take it easy, get into their zone where they know the journey they're about to go on. For now it's three to four minute reads requires a little bit of imagination requires an open mind and either a nice scotch or a favorite wine. So mm-hmm. Thursdays at eight o'clock is our sweet spot and We hope that you're going to be looking forward to receiving information from us on a weekly basis. On to blog article number two, this was a fun one to put together and I really enjoyed how we were able to bring in sports (laughs) on this one. We brought in the Tampa Bay Rays and we talked about how the importance of having a common purpose helps to enhance the human experience. Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about the article, Why 2030 and Beyond Will Be Built by the Collective?
1: Yeah, so this was article number two, right? Uh, in November, uh, a few weeks removed from article one, Why 2030 and Beyond Will Be Built by the Collective. Um, and, you you know, this one was fun in that we did have this, this baseball tie-in. Um, and we talked in particular about the Tampa Bay Rays uh, Major League Baseball club, and and they helped us kind of shape the idea of of this article. And you know, for those that haven't read it, or it's been a minute, right? Going back to November, since some may have read it. You know, the idea for for the Rays back when they were making a World Series run a handful of years ago, they understood it was about the right talent at the right time, and how that can make all the difference for whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Um, and so you know, for those familiar with baseball and, and various positions, etc., cetera, the Rays started their games often with their pitchers typically reserved to end or save games. So their closers, the guys that throw the ball the hardest, and maybe they're only throwing a fastball. Maybe there's not a lot of off-speed pitches. And, and these guys are, are typically called in to, to close out a game. But the Rays realize, statistically speaking, that most runs are scored in a baseball game in the first inning, not the last inning. So, why were they using arguably their best pitchers at the end of the game? Why don't we mitigate the other team's chances of scoring in the first inning when it's most common to score by putting our best pitcher in there right then? So they completely rethink the idea of when a position player can be utilized. They they kind of transcend tradition uh, and put in the right people for the right time. And you know, that translates really well to what Global Consulting Organization is doing. In that we have a commitment through the GCO Collective to bring in talent that, that has what some people might think of as non-traditional backgrounds. Folks that don't necessarily, folks kind of like myself, who don't necessarily have a deep or rich history in the real estate industry per se, right? They're very skilled. They're, they're, they're best in class they bring all of the tools and 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 the toolbox is filled with what we need to be successful as an organization but because they come at it from a more non-traditional viewpoint right um inside and outside of the industry that's essential because if we're making the argument right at GCO that it's time for a, a new era in the real estate industry right one where using the system, using the collective, we sort of transcend the traditional uh, approach. Um, To to get to that new era, you're going to need new viewpoints, new voices, new experience to draw on. So I I really liked Tampa Bay saying, we'll we'll use the traditional methods that are time tested and that work, but where it makes sense, we're going to shake things up a little bit. And we're going to take a different direction. And, and maybe we're going to try some things that have the potential to elevate our game uh, and be open to those risks. And that open mindedness paid off for Tampa Bay. They went from seller in their division. Two years later, they win the World Series. Um, and my, my sense is for GCO that we can be on a similar uh, trajectory as we take on more clients and more work and, and really start to reshape this new era the real estate industry.
0: Definitely. And for those listening out there that may not be in the real estate industry, or those that may even be in the industry, I I do have another thought I've been contemplating about this article over the past couple of days. And the additional concept I wanted to share with the audience today is what we're also looking for decides the right people at the right time is the right state of mind and what i mean by that is we're looking for people that know very clearly what they're here to do on planet earth that sense of conviction that clarity that understanding of their own gifts those are the types of people that we are looking for moving on to article number three I know I'm going to keep saying this, but this is so much fun to put together. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) One of the, I wasn't a big Trekkie Star Trek. That is for those who may be wondering what's a Trekkie, but what really got me excited about this was Star Trek was said to take place in the year 2163, (laughs) way out there, way out there in the future. And, I think there are a lot of interesting concepts about the show itself, which we won't go into right now, that are very futuristic. But then I think there's a lot of concepts in there that are very present day. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way people are, the importance of having the right team and the right people who understand the right vision. So I was wondering if you could... Share with our audience a little bit about this process we went through in, in writing article number three in December of 2021. I, I, I remember the first conversation, and
1: I, I, I think the words that, that came out of your mouth were, We're like the Starfleet. <laughs> and I said, Okay, I, I can get behind this. I'm more of a Star Wars nerd but I have enough Star Trek, you know, to to maybe lean into this, tell me more. And then we went running from from there, you know, the article, how the system and the collective synergize to launch a new era. Article one, we introduced the system. Article two, we introduced the collective. Article three, we wanted to talk about how they work together, right? To to generate the impact we want. And what I found in doing the research for this and And what you found in some of your research that you know if if Star trek's creator Gene Roddenberry were still alive today, there is no question he's he is a member of the g c o collective like straight in he's he's a founding member um because he Star trek everything he created and really his his legacy beyond even television, right, is just this idea of big, fearless ideas. And he's got this genuine desire. And, and you read quotes from him, or listen to sound bites from him. It's this heartfelt, passionate desire to see humanity flourish and sort of reach its best version of itself. And so that's exactly what we want the system and the collective working together to accomplish right to enhance the human experience with the built environment. So so Gene Roddenberry he is in many ways emblematic of what we're trying to accomplish and I, and I think by focusing on Roddenberry and by talking about Star Trek you know this is the first time we touched on it in the website we touched on it in the case study maybe a sprinkling of this in some of the emails and in some of the social media but this is really the first time in this article, that we lean into this idea of common purpose. And, and we talked about it at the start. But you know that idea that the built environment can indeed enhance the human experience. This is really the first time I, I feel like we commit those words to paper, for lack of a better, to the digital, to the website. But we we write these words down, this idea of common purpose for the built environment. And so whether it's you know, finding the talent that shares the common purpose or whether it's using the services of the system to drive that common purpose forward. I mean, this is really what this article is about. I, I feel like I want to, in prepping for the conversation, this was the line that jumps out to me from this piece and the idea of how these two parts, right, the the collective and the system, you know, The sum is greater than the inputs. This is how the two work in tandem in our role as a project starting firm. The system's core services bring a fresh approach to projects, creating a unified creative vision powerful enough to truly transform a property's potential. But making such a change a reality requires bona fide strength. And that's that strength is what's present, you know, in the collective and the system working together. So I, I really liked this article it was a ton of fun to talk about Star Trek and even to catch a few like clips on YouTube from some of the early episodes in the 60s. Some of that stuff really still kind of holds up. I mean, they didn't have CPI, but it still holds up.
0: Right. And that one quote that we close with at the end is also one of my favorites from none other than Captain Picard, he expressed the acquisition of wealth is no longer the driving force of our lives. We work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. That's the kind of quote where we just say, enough said.
1: (laughs) You you do it, Captain Picard.
0: (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you know, and that's
1: Roddenberry, right? I mean, it's 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 the famous Patrick Stewart delivering the line, but it's it's a line, if not penned directly by Roddenberry. I mean, that's just got Gene Roddenberry's fingerprints all over it.
0: Those were our first three articles. We call them section one. And before we go into the second half articles four through six, Andrew, you mind sharing with the audience? the thought process behind some of the references to popular culture? Why we've utilized that strategy and practice to help communicate our ideas?
1: Well, I wanna give you some grand answer, right? That, that it was part of this um, grand design and, and maybe to a degree that's true, but, but I also think that um, it, it just seemed to come naturally along when you're trying to educate and inspire people, particularly around ideas that are somewhat novel or new to an industry, part of that process of education is trying to give them something tangible that they, that they can or already have related to. You may not understand the notion of the common purpose that we're putting forward as GCO at least when we're first introducing it, right? It it, it may be difficult to approach for some, but if we can tie it back to something culturally that's already relevant to them or that they're already aware of, I I think it helps in the education process and it makes a, a deeper connection. And so if by itself, it's a little harder to grasp in the early going of the education process, Maybe we can make that that grasp a little bit easier to attain or, or maybe the grasp of it comes more quickly if we can tie it back to something that's a little bit more familiar or a little bit more commonplace. And so uh, trying to reference things like uh, a major league baseball club or, or Star Trek or the gold rush. I mean, these things that many of us are aware of, it's, it's really an effort to try and draw the, the readers in. And help them better grasp some of the concepts that we're putting forward.
0: One of my favorite blog articles, article number four. For me, this notion of unified creative vision is one of the most exciting components of what we're building here. It's a concept that we created that is not only relevant, we feel, to the industry of real estate, it can be even relevant to a marriage. One of the thoughts that we shared with our audience in the blog was creating resolutions and the importance of creating resolutions, and then also some details around how many resolutions actually fail. Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was 20% of resolutions actually only hold until February.
1: Yeah, like eight out of 10 are done by February 1. Wow. So they don't even they don't even make it, you know, 30 some odd days. Um, wow. And that's I, part of me wants to say it's not super surprising. But then there's another part of me that says, why can't why why, why are we so unsuccessful in, in trying to to accomplish these things that we put forward for ourselves? And I, I think a lot of it does come down to whether or not we truly believe something is possible. Because, you know, it's one thing to see potential. It's another thing to truly believe in it and then have the courage to pursue it. So, yeah, the January article, How a Unified Creative Vision Delivers Results and Elevates Humanity, really is all about, you know, imagination and belief. And the fact that you you kind of need, you need both, right, if you're going to ultimately be successful in a new year's resolution or whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. You talked about unified creative vision. Look, that's the ace in the hole for GCO, right? I mean, that's the most powerful tool. I go back to, to that pilot project, the Yukon in Miami, it was relatively stagnant. No one had any sense that it was going to secure a record lease rate. None of this, I think is in anybody's mind until GCO steps in and imagines something more for that space. And not only imagines it, but believes it can be reality. And so that unified creative vision does just what it's intended to do. It breaks the record offer. It breaks the lease rate record. And Gordon Ramsay, is he the most famous chef in the world? in the top three, the top five, who doesn't know him? Miami, one of the biggest marketplaces in the world. How is he not there already? Why is he not operating a restaurant there? It takes GCO's unified creative vision for what the Yukon space can become. This place it can be to experience is enough to draw in Gordon Ramsay to open his first you know South Florida restaurant. I mean, that's if anything speaks to the power of of launching a project or relaunching a stagnant project with a unified creative vision that that speaks for itself in many ways in my mind but this is not why you like this article you loved this article because of alice and the hatter and wonderland right i mean that's that's really that's the bread and butter for this article right
0: it is and it's also a little bit of a preview to some of the work that we're now doing with clients in the sense that we're not here to reimagine office building. We're here to reimagine live-work-play communities of the future, and those communities could also be neighborhoods and ideally one-day cities. Why we tied this back to Alice in Wonderland was this idea of Alice in pursuit of a dream, fantasy, the unknown, something that caught her attention with the rabbit and why she went down the hole. For me, that process symbolizes a spiritual awakening. And I believe that's what a lot of our clients need to now have and they need to go through. What we preach to our clients is the importance of working on your project to ensure that it enhances the human experience. A lot of clients push back and say, that's all well and good. I don't have the money to do that. When we break that down and we fight back because that's what we're here to do, many times we find that that really means that they can't make 8x on their money And they'll have to make a little bit less than that. I'm just using that as an example. So it's definitely lost us a good amount of business because some may have felt that we're not looking after the bottom line. And that's obviously not the case. The bottom line is just as important as the human experience. Right now, the way the equation works is the bottom line is the most important and the human experience comes after that. Where you are... In that equation, each client is different. Everyone's got their own expectations and their own parameters from which they go upon. But our specific role is to work towards making the human experience as important as the bottom line. And ideally, our vision for 2030 and beyond is that the human experience is what directly impacts the bottom line. That's our belief. That's our vision for the future. And definitely is something that has us very excited about moving forward. As we started to talk about article number five, it was kind of the next level from where we were in number four, whereby we had gone down this road of describing our work in four articles. We had another three, four months of meetings with clients to understand where they were at in working to perceive what we were doing and the kind of impact that we could have on their businesses. And we felt at the time that it was important to take a little bit of a deeper dive into this new category that we're starting called project starting. Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges we had in communicating to clients and various stakeholders what project starting is and why we decided to go ahead and write this article
1: yeah so you know this article somewhat recent just here from the month of february what our new stakeholder category means for the future of real estate and you're right we 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 referenced this this idea this role that GCO plays as a project starting firm way back in article one, you know, when we're talking about the system and how the GCO system influences and impacts uh, a, a project. And it is in that sort of project starting role, but you're right, there were still questions about this notion of, of a project starting firm and what is that exactly? And and the, And the truth is, you're 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 trying to carve out a whole new category in the real estate development cycle with this project starting firm role and so it's vital to define that for people the idea and you just spoke about it it's interesting how all these articles they can stand alone but they all do weave together one and the same you know just talking about alice in wonderland and in in article 4 and the inspiration there and the idea that eventually enhancing the human experience becomes the profit driver, right? And they're, they're, they're one and the same. I, I think that's the idea here that as a project starting firm, when you can launch with that unified creative vision right from the jump, you're going to impact efficiency, you're going to impact revenue potential. But most importantly, you get every stakeholder, every shared interest group is immediately from the start, they're right there to enhance the human experience. So so you're establishing the framework and the ground rules through this project starting role, and it makes everybody more efficient. When you're more efficient, you have the potential for higher revenue, no doubt about it, but we're also injecting right the common purpose. I'm gonna go backwards to go forwards. I'm gonna go back to article one because uh, this line is 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 just it and we recall this line in article 5 we 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 call right back to it because it's it's sort of the central deal here like an ignition switch project starters generate instant momentum with a jolt of fresh focused energy and that's the idea behind gco as a project starting firm and it just so happens that that fresh focused energy from our perspective, it is tied directly to seeing the built environment enhance the human experience. Yeah, this article was fun too, um, as they all were. But this was fun because uh, th- this was the first time where we really pull in like two pop culture examples. And you know, there's some concern when you do that, like a Toby McGuire Spider-Man Three. We've got like Spider-Man facing three and four different villains and oh boy, is it getting too confusing, too complex. So there was a little bit of risk here, but it was super fun uh, to be able to chase a couple of different examples to help drive home the concept of project starting. And I think the one that really does it effectively is the program Queer Eye. And that completely created its own genre back in, in the early aughts. And it's back on Netflix here in, in, in recent years. But the Fab Five, the, you know, the group that manages all of these makeovers, these people makeovers on Queer Eye, the, the Fab Five is effectively the GCO collective. You've got various best in class talents from their unique disciplines all coming together. And here, I'll quote another line from this time, from this article. Project starting instantly generates the massive momentum necessary to produce thorough and comprehensive transformations, which are compelling and powerful enough to unite even the most reluctant stakeholders in a shared purpose. So you watch Queer Eye. Sometimes the guests on that show aren't so keen about their makeover, but they bring those individuals along with them, the Fab Five does. And GCO Project Starting does the same, gets everyone on the same page and ensures we're all working together towards that common purpose.
0: The pilot project that we've shared had 36 collective members from over 15 plus cities. And it's just a representation of where we're going. Right now we have in our core group between board advisors and key consultants around 10 individuals, very committed to our work. We have approximately 50 individuals, I would say, that are on standby, depending on the project, what the needs are, they're all around the world. We have some people actually even in Costa Rica, One is in Mexico right now, one is in South Africa, but for the most part, the majority are in the United States. And within our network, the way we're setting it up is that within our collaborations, the individuals that we partner with also have their networks that they bring to the table. So as we scale up in project size, what started off as 36 collective members can easily go to 100. And as we get into projects that are larger in nature, such as neighborhoods and eventually cities, easily we can go to a thousand. And then, depending on the network that we call upon, especially some of our construction firms that we are collaborating with, we can easily go to 10,000 workers when we do get called upon to ideally put together a $500 billion project in the future. So I'm very excited for that idea. We're setting up our entire network and platform to move in that direction and can't wait until we have these kind of opportunities that do fully line up and most importantly when we do have clients that very much understand the importance of this work and how like we said in article 5 their specific role is to help humanity heal grow and transform which can be done in the built environment, and which we will be showing and demonstrating in the years ahead. Closing out with article number six, which is to be published tomorrow. We're recording this on February 23rd. And tomorrow at 8 p.m., of course, article number six will be going out. Article number six was our effort to talk directly about the name of our blog, 2030 and beyond, and really work to communicate to our audience the different components and aspects of what 2030 and beyond means, and what type of cooperative spirit and heartfelt connection was needed or will be needed to impact these projects of the future. Andrew, can you give us a little bit of your thoughts on this process and some insights that you believe our audience would benefit from.
1: Absolutely. So you're right. Uh, hot off the hot off the presses. This this one will only be published for for a handful of days before, you know, this this recording hits the website as well. Why 2030 and beyond will be the era of connected collective communities. So you know this one. What I really like about this one, if I'm being honest, is it's setting you up as the James Cameron of the real estate industry, my friend. <laughs> James Cameron, of course, famous director of Titanic and Avatar. Avatar movies don't get any bigger than Avatar. And in many ways, Titanic. You know, I remember when Titanic came out, there was nothing there was nothing like that particular spectacle. So so no one does world building and movie making quite like James Cameron. And then his creations literally connect people from all over the world. Avatar is still the top grossing movie of all time globally, like $2.8 billion. And so I say it a little bit in jest, but the truth is you're taking or bringing or delivering a James Cameron like mindset to the built environment here. It is about thinking bigger And building better, and when I use better, I don't mean necessarily that it's going to last for decades and decades, although that's important. I mean better in in that we're building to enhance the human experience. So that's central to what we're creating here at GCO and where your vision for the organization is going but then it's it's also this idea of common experience and in the way the movies unite people we believe the built environment can create deep connections between people and really return them to a place where their humanity and our commonality is what's first especially in this time where so much is our social media presence or a metaverse or our digital selves you know the idea that in 2030 and beyond the built environment can be central to bringing us back to our humanity and returning some of that connection, that one-to-one human connection that I do feel increasingly like we're losing as the digital era presses on. So I joke a little bit, but I'm, but in my heart, I'm, I'm somewhat honest with this idea of you and, and GCO <laughs> attempting to be the James Cameron uh, of the built environment because I think that's exactly in many ways, what what we can do and what we're aiming to do.
0: Cheers to that. And what really got me excited about this article was bringing in one of my favorites of all time, the Jetsons. So many fond memories of running out of bed on a Saturday morning, which, as you know, being a kid growing up, that's not easy to do on a Saturday morning. But I was always looking forward to watching an episode of the Jetsons. No clue that it was taking place in the year 2062, but intuitively just felt very connected to the idea of Orbit City and creating and learning about interactions in the future and what they could look like from a very young age. I just found that fascinating. And even with Avatar, James Cameron supposedly thought the existence of Pandora was to be 200 years in the future and I found it very interesting that the avatars had a color blue to them and I dug a little further on this one because I come from a very traditional Hindu family and in our religion we have Lord Krishna the Hindu deity and Lord Krishna is the god of protection compassion tenderness and love and it turns out that james cameron's mom had a dream of these types of beings sometime before the avatar was even really formally put together and i guess it stuck in his head and from what i read i didn't i didn't see that it was a direct call out with lord krishna but he did mention the connection to Hinduism and knowing what Lord Krishna stands for, I just found it very interesting, especially when we learned about the Navi. You mind closing out this article, Andrew, and talking a little bit about the Navi, the significance of it, and tying it back to the collective
1: yeah no I, you, happy to do that, and you mentioned the Jetsons, right, and so the Jetsons does this marvelous job of putting creative ideas out there like anything's possible and that's a little bit easier to do in a cartoon world but if you look at the Jetsons so much of what the Jetsons had in their lives in that show these possibilities that the creators seemingly randomly came up with what the future could look like we use those things today like they are a part of our existence today but what the Navi do and what happens on Pandora and what Cameron creates an avatar, it goes beyond just the futuristic gadgets or the novelty of an alien, you know, civilization. What, what really is happening in that movie is you're seeing the power of connectiveness. You're seeing the power of a society and an environment and all of it And the connectedness and the power that that can deliver, that collective strength, what it means to be united and to see the humanity of a society or or a race of people, to see that come together and, and come to fruition. And so to me, the characters of Avatar, they exemplify where we think, right, the built environment can take all of us by creating these deep, meaningful connections, providing this, the, the place and the experience to do so. You know, the line that I'm drawn to in the piece is more than producing concepts and innovations for the tactile and physical, GCO champions a future where the built environment is to become an instrument of inclusion, connection, and harmony. And that's what the characters of Avatar were realizing. They were inclusive, they were connected. And ultimately, at the end of the movie, they overcome the villains, and they find harmony through each other and in their environment. And I think that is why the movie was so incredibly, look, 3D, all these things probably are in the mix, right? But at the end of the day, it's the heart of that story that earns it $2.8 billion. And that's the heart of that story. People united, together, connected, the common purpose of a shared humanity, it delivers harmony. And that is exactly what we want to accomplish through the built environment in 2030 and beyond at GCO.
0: And it's also funny how Neil Reddy from the Fab Five in Queer Eye relayed a very similar sentiment when he said, One of the things that was kind of glanced over in my episode by a lot of people who aren't Pakistani or Indian was the interaction between Fab Five member Tan and myself. In our respective home countries, you would never see an Indian and Pakistani interacting in such an open and free way because of years of fighting and hate. Even my uncle, who lives in India, was grateful for what Tan did for me and had respect for him. And this is really what our work is about. It may sound a bit out of left field, going back to our Tampa Bay reference there. (laughs) Uh, And it may sound a bit foreign in a real estate context, but those that in this moment are aligned with what we are talking about here, I, I know it hits you In your heart. I know that you feel it. (laughs) It's not something necessarily that intellectually is understood. I think it's more on a deeper level of feeling in the heart where this type of understanding would make the most sense. In closing out today's broadcast, there's a couple other points here I, I wanted to share 2030 and beyond. Why? 2030 and beyond. That's a common question I get. And there's a couple points of view that I wanted to share. and Andrew, if you have any thoughts, please do chime in. Right now we're at a very pivotal time where in the year 2022, the types of projects that we consult on, they're larger scale, they take anywhere from five plus years to complete. One of the projects I just talked about with a client on last week, probably we're looking at a 10 year plus timeline to develop it. In knowing that everything that we are now putting into work will manifest in the years 2030 and beyond. This is one of the main reasons why we call the blog 2030 and beyond. Because right now in present day, in our interactions, in our day-to-day work, we are creating the built environment of 2030 and beyond. That was one of the key reasons why we've called this the name of the blog. Andrew, you have any thoughts to share on that?
1: No, I I think you're exactly right. I don't have a whole lot to add. The, The reality is the kind of collective effort that we're talking about, the movement that we're working to generate the research tells us it's eight, 10, 15 years, right. To, to fully adopt these kinds of concepts. And so we can't lose any time now is the time to start.
0: Yeah. And that's why we share in our latest blog article coming out tomorrow night in caps and bold that there is no time to waste. I hope if you are, you have made it uh, this far, in listening to us, first of all, we thank you very much. <laughs> we, are, we are deeply grateful. But there are a few thoughts that I would like to leave you with. And in doing so, I'm also going to provide a little bit of a preview to the next series of articles that we're currently working on. The real question is not whether life exists after death. The real question is whether you are alive before death. I'll say that one more time. The real question is not whether life exists after death. The real question is whether you are alive before death. I have to ask you this. because. A lot of our conversations and when we're meeting with fellow or potential collaborative and collective members is, I like to understand, like, where are you on your journey? How has COVID impacted you and your life? What type of decisions are you making with regards to your career right now? What are you here to do ask yourself that are you here to pay bills 100 percent, we all are what are you going to do with the time that you have left in this life can you have a positive impact on the built environment of 2030 and beyond Just ask yourself that. If you haven't spent any time thinking about those thoughts and ideas, guess what? You are listening to this broadcast because you are meant to start thinking about this. Perhaps this is your wake-up call. And if it is, please continue to tune in. Feel free to reach out to us. We would love to talk and see if there are ways we can work together. And stay tuned for our upcoming blog articles. We'll have some broadcasts also that take place perhaps on a monthly basis that will continue to build upon the foundation that Andrew and I talked about here today. Andrew, I am eternally grateful for, number one, meeting you. and we're here to do some very fun and meaningful work. And I can't believe it's only been nine months. It definitely feels like it's been a lifetime, if not many more that we have uh, worked together. So thank you so much for all that you've done and contributed to Global Consulting Organization to date. I am so, so grateful. And thank you so much for sharing energy and spending time with us today. It's been an absolute, absolute joy. Uh,
1: Amit, my friend, thank you so much uh, for those kind words. I'm, I'm really going to have to cook you a real, real nice dinner now after all <laughs> those kind things that you've said. And I just wanted to hearken back to me having to cook you dinner so we could bring the thing full circle. I appreciate your having me for this conversation, and for all the shared work. It's a genuine pleasure.
0: Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and cheers to 2030 and beyond.